Welcome to Warriors Off Court, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Connor Letourneau, and today I'm joined by Chronicles sports columnist Scott Osler. During our conversation, we broke down the Warriors training camp to-do list, their two positive coronavirus tests, and much, much more. Scott, thank you so much for joining me back on the podcast. Um, it's only been a couple of weeks, but it feels like it's been a minute. Um, how you been? Are you uh, are you staying sane during these these curious times? Oh, I'm completely good. I'm all good. I'm I'm in my little cabin in the woods here, in my little <laughs> office out in the out in the trees. So I'm like the I'm like the Unabomber. I don't know if you remember that guy. Yeah, um, what a great way to start the pod, just compare yourself to the Unabomber. Um, no, I love, I've, I've seen your setup at your house. You got this, like, I don't even know if you what you would call it. It's kind of like a she shed type situation um, yeah. where you where you hunker down and, and write your amazing columns. Um, yeah, it's, but it's, it's a nice a little place where most people would uh, do their little potted plants and stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but it's probably it's probably nice to have uh, to get out of the house, you know, and get your own little space for sure. It's kind of like your den. Yeah. Um, she shed. I'm not, you know, I'm a guy. Right. A he shed. A he okay. shed. Right. Perfect. Okay. My bad. Um, so kind of kind of a, a weird start to training camp. Um, and, you know, training camp was technically supposed to start Tuesday and, and all and by all that. By that, all I mean is that the the Warriors were supposed to start getting tested for coronavirus starting Tuesday, and then they were going to start actual practices Sunday. But um, we got news on Tuesday that two po- two players had tested positive for the coronavirus. And so just given league protocols, uh, those two guys have to go into a quarantine for 10 to 12 days and then register two, two negative tests. Um, and then in the meantime – the Warriors had to push back training camp a day. So uh, they started arriving at Chase Center yesterday, and then it's looking like the actual practices are not going to start till Monday. Now, I don't think 24 hours is a huge deal, but given how uh, abbreviated this entire process is in the lead-up to uh, preseason, every day matters. Um, but I think the bigger thing to me is just it shows how tenuous – this entire season is going to be. Now, I think the Warriors and every team expected some positive tests, especially coming from a long layoff. Um, you know, it was bound to happen. But, um, you know, if, if these types of things happen throughout the season, there can be significant repercussions. I mean, you saw it uh, with the A's and Giants. I think they had to postpone a combined, combined six games this season. Uh, obviously, you're seeing what's going on with the 49ers. Now that's not really their fault. That's for reasons outside their control, but um, you know, the Warriors face kind of a similar predicament potentially, because if it's happening in Santa Clara County, that's not, that's not very far away. Now, San Francisco County, if if, if San Francisco County is already in the purple tier, um, you got to wonder if the Warriors are going to have to get up and move where they practice and potentially where they play home games in the near future. And like, it's just, everything is so weird right now. And I know that we've said that a million times over the past eight or so months, but it, it's, it's can't get much weirder than this right now. Yeah. It's to me, it's super ominous because when you look at the big picture, you know, the country is going and we're, we're going in the, into the cold months, the winter, the virus is supposed to get worse. It's supposed to spike. I know we got the, the vaccine kind of on the horizon, but man, that's going to be slow coming. So, 
we're, we're kind of in the danger zone as a country. So why should sports be exempt? It's going to be touch and go. I think you see it happen in college. Now there've been a bunch, bunch of games canceled, a bunch of problems. It's just, it's beyond everybody's control. And not only that, but you're getting pushed back from a lot of people about wearing masks and all that stuff. And so now we're getting into that whole debate. And it's right. And it was just, it was just two months ago. It was just two months ago that the Warriors had a mini camp and they took every precaution humanly possible and they had like a bubble like environment. Um, and I remember writing all about everything that went into setting that whole situation up. And, you know, the reality is we're actually in a worse place now than we were two months ago. And they don't have a bubble like environment because, unfortunately for them, it's just really not realistic over the course of an NBA season to have a true bubble like environment. Um, it worked for the Orlando bubble, but that was a very unique set of circumstances. And I think, you know, that's doable over the course of a month or so, but to do it over the course of an entire NBA season just isn't super feasible. Um, so, you know, but that being said, the Warriors are going to have, are having to navigate all that while dealing with what I would say is arguably the most important training camp, you know, since this team became nationally relevant. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, on a personal note, I think we're going to need to cancel our, our weekly uh, luncheons at the French Laundry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. We need to, we need to, uh, you know, the, the expense accounts are going to be looking pretty good though in coming months. <laughs> so that's, that's good. Uh, my boss should be happy about that. We're going to be saving a good amount of money because it's not looking like I'll be traveling uh, anytime soon and nor will anyone uh, in terms of media, which is understandable. There's just no access right now. You can't really justify traveling the country during a pandemic when there's minimal access beyond, beyond zoom calls. Um, and you know, so, we can't really, we can't really complain about that, but a lot of our job benefits from travel, you know, from you, you from being with the team on a daily basis, me from being out of practices, uh, when you get in the playoffs and stuff, when we travel, you, you, there's a lot of networking, a lot of interaction with other writers, exchanges with yeah. players, coaches and stuff like that. All that is, is gone by the by. And now we're kind of way back uh, distance from everything instead of being right in the middle of it where we get the information and, and get a feel for this stuff. Right. And I think I think a lot of people, you know, who who don't know everything the job entails, just assume that, you know, you go on the road to cover games which to an extent is true but um that's honestly a, a pretty small part of it um you it's you can write a game story that's a, a decent caliber from your couch um it the reason we're on the road really is for all the behind the scenes stuff it's to right. be at the shoot around it's to be around the hotel it's to you know have the side conversations to get to know these people on a real level to, to come up with story ideas to get information to break news um, and all those things now kind of go out the window when we're not on the road. Um, you know, the a couple of days ago when when the two guys tested positive, um, you know, obviously, understandably, Bob Myers is saying because of HIPAA and all these things, we can't tell you the names of the players, which I completely get. But if we were actually there, it'd be much easier for us to figure out that type of information. You know, we'd be able to look and see who's physically there for one thing. And the ones right. who aren't there are probably the people who, who test positive. We could kind of get do some gumshoe reporting and, and ask around. But it's just so much harder uh, when you're not there. So I feel like we're beholden a little bit more to what they tell us, which just the reporter in me uh, 
is a little frustrated about that, yeah, you know, because you, you need to do more snooping and you can't do snooping from your living room. So I, right, I mean, you can text people and stuff, right. but it's, it's a totally different dynamic, right? Yeah. Uh, people are going to be more apt to tell you stuff like that if you're in person um, yeah. than just over a text message or, or a phone call. Um, but, uh, you know, well, you made the point a minute ago about the training, the importance of training camp, this training camp, how maybe this is the most important. And yeah, the, I mean, uh, it is in some respects. I mean, um, I thought I actually thought it was even more important before uh, Clay got injured because now now the stakes are lower uh, because it's just not realistic necessarily for them to chase a title now. I thought before that this was a really intent going to be a really intense training camp just because you know you're trying to get this entire group of people together, many of whom have never played with each other, almost none of them, only two of whom. Um, Draymond Green and Kevon Looney have played significant minutes with Steph. Um, and you're trying to get them on the same page in such a way where they can legitimately compete for an NBA title. Now you're looking more at just trying to compete for best case scenario, maybe home court advantage in the playoffs. But the, the reality is given everything this team has been through with Chase Center being sh shut down and all the money being lost, they really do owe their fans a, a quality product. And I honestly yeah. think that when you're talking about what the hopes and expectations are for this season, I think you need to start there. Uh, let's forget the wins and losses. Let's forget how deep they get in the playoffs. You just need to give this fan base something to root for because last season was brutal, absolutely brutal. And then the past eight months have been uh, so difficult for so many people. I think at the, at the end of the day, on a basic level, basketball is meant to entertain. The NBA is an entertainment league um, and they need to be putting out a product that is worth getting up for. Um, and I think the Uber trade and the, the couple free agent acquisitions they made definitely put them in the door to have a chance to, to be that, to provide that. Yeah. But it's far from a guarantee, partly because you have so many just new pieces and you don't fully know how they're going to coalesce. Um, you know, Steph talked to us. I think you were on the Zoom call. Steph talked to us yesterday for the first time in a long time. And, you know, this is a guy who is 32 years old, um, has over the past three seasons has missed an average of 36 games per season. Um, there's – it's real – it's fair to question whether or not he can stay healthy over the course of a season. And for this team to be an actual factor in the Western Conference, he needs to not only stay healthy, he needs to be playing at an MVP caliber level yeah and we have no idea if that's going to be possible because uh, it could be that Steph has a chance to shine even more than normal because he's got to carry a bigger load but it's also the chance that other teams could could gang up on him with with clay not there and it's going to be tougher for him so we have no idea that it's that's a complete wild card to me what what Steph is going to do this year I, I I'm pretty confident he's going to be really good because he's Steph Curry and he's going to be very entertaining and he's going to be very productive and all that stuff. But is it going to be like an MVP level kind of guy, or is he just going to be a guy trying to scuffle and survive? To me, that's kind of a question. Yeah. And you know, he, he's, he's going to, I think have to change his style a little bit too, uh, just given the new personnel they have, I think his ability to get them out in transition and on fast breaks and, and do those, those long outlet passes to the Kelly Oubre's and Andrew Wiggins yeah. in the world is going to be really important. I think he needs to be a little bit better defensively given yeah. everything they've lost. Well, you've been say, we've been saying that for years. 
Is he is he going to be able to make that step? And I don't think he's first ever of all. I think Steph's better defensively than people give him credit for. Right. Um, I don't. That should be your next article. I want to read that. Complete liability defensively. Look, he's yeah. probably. I would say he's an average defender, but he's not. I mean, he's a, he's decent giving his physical size yeah. and how much of a load he has to carry offensively. A lot of defense at this level, all these guys are physically gifted. A lot, all these guys are athletic. A lot of defense at this level is just the want to, the 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 full on concentration over the course of forty eight minutes. And when you're being asked to score thirty points a night, it's really hard to be locked in. Right. I mean, the reality, you know how it is. We're human beings. We're we can't focus that long on anything. You well, know? I say, how much can you expect that? How much can you expect out of Steph? Can you? Come on, Steph. We got to give us five, ten percent more on defense. That's got to come from someplace, you know. There's not many guys like a few. Jerry West was a guy who could play super hard both ways, and you know that goes way back. And there's there's some guys can do that, but man, you you got to sacrifice a little bit of defense if you're going to carry that whole offensive load, right? For sure. For sure. Um, but one of the one of the things that is fascinating to me about this season is I think Steve Kerr faces quite the conundrum when it comes to Steph, right? Because they've always been good about limiting his usage, limiting his workload, knowing that they're going to, at least in years past, need him all the way till mid to late June um, because of the NBA finals. And, uh, you know, this is a guy who the past four years has never had his usage rate within the top 20 throughout the league. Um and he's he only plays about 33 minutes a night, which for a two-time MVP is really not that many minutes. Yeah. Um, but given the fact that they don't have Kevin Durant anymore, obviously, uh, given the fact that Clay Thompson's out for the season, you got to think that they're going to have to up his workload a bit. And uh, Steve Kerr said the other day that, you know, they're still pretty insistent on keeping him in that 33, 35-minute range. But you could tell the way he said it, like he wasn't, he didn't fully believe himself. You know what I mean? Like he's like, I know we need to do this, but it's <laughs> yeah. going to be hard. Because yeah. when you're in a close game, games on the line, you're going to need to give him that longer leash because that's yeah. honestly the only way you're going to have a chance, probably, uh, just given the injuries and who they have out there. Yeah. I've, no, I've seen that over the years with. With many great players, the, the coach would always say, we got to limit his minutes, we got to hold him back. And then when it comes down to it, the guy's got to play. But, uh, you know, one, one factor that's going to on Steph and on the team is how much of these guys going to run? Because it seems to me like the plan is that it's going to be all out. They're going to they're run hard this year, more so certainly than last year. And that's going to be an emphasis. And if that's the case, you know, that could be harder miles on Steph. Oh, for sure. Um, and I also think there's talk about them doing more pick and rolls um, this season with Steph. Um, now, that being said, I do think that uh, they've talked about that every year that I've been on the beat and I'm entering my fifth year and I, I, I still haven't seen it. Like they talked a lot about it entering last season and it didn't happen. Obviously, Steph was injured a lot of the season, but even in the minutes he did play, you didn't see a ton of it. I think people are talking more about it right now just because they have James Wiseman who does kind of thrive in that type of role as a rim runner in pick and roll situations. Um, but I, I don't, I think that even, even with James Wiseman, I think that they're at their best when they're playing that kind of free flowing movement, heavy style. 
that we're so accustomed to. And I honestly don't see that changing a ton this season. I don't think it should. The only thing I think that Steve needs to really change is I think he needs to make more of a point to really ratchet up the pace all the time. You know, in the past, they've been opportunistic in terms of getting on fast break situations. I think every single time they get a defensive rebound, they need to sprint as hard as humanly possible down the court. Because if you look at this roster, the only distinct advantage it has on pretty much every other team is their ability to get out in transition. They have some of the best transition players in the NBA. They have Andrew Wiggins. His game thrives on that. They have Kelly Oubre, who's 15th in the league last season in transition points. They have uh, James Wiseman, whose game is predicated on that. Um, and then they they add Kent Bazemore and Brad Wanamaker, both of whom thrive in those situations as well. Obviously, Clay wasn't really one of those guys. Uh, so you take him out of the mix and, and just their entire personnel and style play trends in that direction, right? So I think they need to go all in on that. I personally think that they need to make it a goal to have the highest pace in the league. Uh, last season, Toronto had the highest pace in the league. I believe they, they were out in transition about 15 16% of the time. The Warriors need to get that up in like the 20% range, which is crazy hot. But I think that that would give them the best chance to be competitive. Yeah, but you know that's not going to be easy because people think, oh, hey, hey, got to run more. I want to see him run more. It's more exciting and all that stuff. Mm. But it's hard to run. There's a guy named his name out of the past, a guy named Paul Westhead. He was a coach. Yeah, I know Paul Westhead. Coached, yeah, he coached the the Lakers when they won the championship in 1980 when Magic Johnson was a rookie. Right. Westhead's thing, which got him bounced out of the league and bounced around the country. And by the way, he's got a book out now, which is kind of interesting. That he was the, wasn't he the coach at Loyola Marymount? With yes. Bokemol with Hank Gathers. Gathers right, yeah. right. And Paul's thing was you run every freaking time, no matter what, a thousand percent. And nobody had ever done that. And, and still nobody has done that. And his point was that everybody says they want to run players, high school kids, you know, yeah. you recruit them. Hey, I want to run. I like to run. But then when you, get down to what you got to do to run, which is being super conditioned and right. just kill yourself every minute of the game. It's a, it's a max effort. And it's really, it was hard to do in college. He got it done in college for a couple of years. <clears throat> in the NBA, he found that he got a lot of pushback. A lot of players just couldn't keep up that pace. Didn't want to keep up. Some of them didn't want to. <clears throat> and so it's uh it's one thing to say it, but it's another thing to do it. But I, I think they do, they do seem to have the kind of guys right now that would kind of embrace that idea whether they can take the step and get that extra uh, bit of conditioning and all that stuff, we'll see. Well, if, if they're really going to go all in the way we're talking about, I think Steve needs to even dip deeper into that bench, you know, to keep right. legs fresh. And, you know, Steve's never been afraid to do that. Um, and that's that to me was one of the biggest questions heading into this crazy period with the draft and free agency was, you know, how can they really shore up this bench to, to make sure that they have a solid like eight, nine, maybe even 10 guys that they feel comfortable playing with in the playoffs. And, you know, to be honest, I was a little underwhelmed with what they did in free agency. Um, but maybe I had too high of expectations, especially after uh, Steph or especially after Clay went down with the injury, because the reality is you just weren't going to get those ring chaser types. You weren't going to get Marcus Soul to come take less money to play for a team that has almost no chance of contending for a title. Right. So, um, you know, you get, you get Baysmore and you get Wanamaker, they're help, they're helpful pieces. I don't think they move the needle in a huge way. Um, 
but um, you know, this team I think has a, has a, has a, has a ceiling, right. It has a ceiling. And I think right now the, the fourth seed in the West is a best case scenario. At this yeah. Point. That seems like it. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have more of my conversation with Scott Osler right after the break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. But I, I think the guys they've got, when we talked a minute ago about attitude, you got to have the right attitude to want to run and to play at that pace and all that stuff. Get guys like Bazemore, for instance. We know a little bit about his, his right. spirit and attitude, and, and seems like he's the right kind of guy to be a part of that 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 deal if you're going to get yeah we talked to, we talked to Bazemore for the first time yesterday and I was personally very impressed with him obviously I wasn't around the first time he was on the Warriors um and I've only heard good things about him obviously he's one of Steph's closest friends you, so you got to know he's a pretty high quality individual high character and individual um but he genuinely seemed so excited to be here. Um, even though he only spent a, a year and a half with the Warriors, I think there's a loyalty there because they did take a, a flag on him, a flyer on him, uh, coming out undrafted out of um, Old Dominion and then obviously maintaining a close relationship with Steph throughout the years. So I think I think he fits very, very much culturally with, with what this team's about. I think Wanamaker's the same way. Um, I think in certain ways, Ubre, even though he's – been a little bit more checkered of a pass than, than these other guys. I think he fits too, just because he brings that, that heart, that fire. Right. Even though Draymond provides that, I've always felt that this team needed a little bit more of that, honestly. Like I, I thought that they could use another Draymond-esque guy. And I think, I think Ubre is going to be that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's going to be a big uh, part of the equation this year. It's just way beyond talent. It's going to be the whole, I don't know, you know, Sounds like high school or something like that, rah rah stuff. But but that counts for something, you know. When Bazemore was on the team before, even though he was a very minor kind of a role player, what he brought to the bench, I know it was great for the fans and everything. It was fun to watch him go crazy on the on the bench. But I think the players get into that too. I think that that kind of makes a difference. Oh yeah, and I, I mean that stuff. That I think the reason why that became such a big deal at the time was because it was so abnormal in the NBA. You just yeah. honestly don't see that a lot in the NBA. You see that in college all the time. You know, the walk-on guys, uh, like the 170-pound white dude on the bench who's going nuts, you know, like that, you that see was my that job, all the time thing, in man. college, but you just don't see it at this level very much. And I think when when people do see it, it's incredibly uh, refreshing and exciting yeah, as a fan because you. I think we all want to believe that our favorite NBA team is – a bunch of like fun loving guys who like hang out in their free time and are all, you know, have that real team ethos. And the truth is that's just really not how the NBA is. You know, there, there's so many competing personalities. There's so many egos at play. A lot of these guys are married with kids. And then you have, you know, the whole locker room division between like the older vets who are married with, with a family versus the young guys who are getting after it. Um, in their personal lives. I mean, it's, it's an interesting 
dynamic. And I actually just reread one of my favorite books, uh, Breaks of the Game. Oh yeah, and I gotta read it, that. Yeah. Which you gotta read it, uh, David Halberstam. It's uh, it chronicles the seventy nine eighty Blazers, and it was so fascinating to read because a lot of the issues that were at play in that locker room with those 7980 Blazers are still very much alive and present in the modern NBA, if not even more so, you know, in terms of players uh, having contract disputes and that affecting their play and affecting the locker room. Um, you know, those types of issues are still very real. Yeah. In fact, I met Halberstam that year when he was working on that book and that team was a prototype for kind of the, the modern days of the, the, the crazy egos and the personalities right. and all that stuff. So, yeah. Right. And the access back then was just, I mean, it, there, it was all access pretty much. Yeah. So he, he did a phenomenal job of letting the reader peer in to what that really looks like. And I think that all that stuff is still happening. It's just harder for a reporter to fully uh, dissect it because of just the access isn't quite what it used to be. Now the access in non COVID times is still very good compared to other leagues, which is honestly my favorite thing about covering the NBA, um, is just how open it is and how you would have loved it back in the old days, man. <laughs> Riding on, you know, some of the times we're on on team planes on team flights because they flew commercial, and riding on the team buses to and from the ballpark and stuff like that. Stay at the same hotels, run into them in the coffee shop. So it was much different deal. Yeah, for sure. Um, so kind of looking ahead, uh, you know. Over the course of the next couple of weeks, we're going to have a uh, training camp. And then obviously the preseason games start, I believe, like December 12th or something like that. And then you got the season opener on December 22nd. Um, if you're Steve Kerr right now, obviously you have a massive to-do list that you're trying to accomplish in a short period of time here. But what are a couple of the things that should be at the top of that to-do list if you're Steve? Well, you go back to the basics. Remember his first training camp, he had the guys doing the basic high school drills and stuff like that, and which they, which kind of surprised them at the time. And I think he's going to do that. He's going to go back to the basics. He's going to try to build that whole team thing again, uh, try to get back to that same spirit he had then. Uh, install, make sure, install the running game. It's already there, but ratchet it up. That's going to be a, a, a big deal. And to, you know, figure out how, just start figuring out as as quickly as possible, how the new guys fit in, what Wiseman can do. Can he contribute right away, 15, 20 minutes a game? Or is he going to have to be a two-minute-a-game guy <clears throat> until he figures things out? So he's got to take a look at these guys and start figuring out where they where they fit in. Yeah, and Steve has gone to great lengths to try to temper expectations about Wiseman, um, which I fully expected just because I think that's good coaching to try to take the burden of – off your 19 year old number two draft pick you know he's going to be at his best when he's feeling free and loose and not uh overly burdened by the pressure and this is a guy too who i think has shown that he can let that stuff get to him um when he was at memphis um you know he was so affected by all the scrutiny he was under with the ncaa investigation that he was crying he's been very open that he cried in his dorm room every night and then obviously he, uh, he withdrew from the university before he could even really see what was going to happen with this suspension, um, which I, I talked to Penny Hardaway before the draft and Penny Hardaway told me that he was not happy about that. Like he did, he wanted Wiseman to stay, but Wiseman just couldn't handle it. 
anymore. And so the Warriors are aware of that. They know what these guys, what their mental makeup is. And so they're going to try to do the best they can to put them in the best position possible. But um, it's going to be fascinating for me to see, you know, what his role looks like on opening night, because I think you look at his, his just raw talent and ability and his physical tools and he's operating at a different level than any of the other centers on the roster. That being said, I'm not sure he's going to be your most reliable center come day one. I mean, I, I, I'm personally very partial to Marquise Chris. I thought he, by the end of last season was one of the better players. Uh, obviously I'm not, I'm not a very good team, but um, I think he provides what they need out of that spot. He's a really good passer. He's great in dribble handoff situations, which is going to be super important with Steph. He, uh, he, I think he, he can see the floor really well for a big man. He can be kind of a fulcrum of that offense. And then, um, but he, but obviously he's not James Wiseman. He's not seven one, you know, he's not, he doesn't have the, the freakish wingspan. Um, he doesn't have some of the physical tools and so ultimately, obviously, I believe that Wiseman has the higher ceiling, but, you know, it's how do the Warriors handle those initial days? Yeah. One, thing I'm, one thing I'm curious to see is who's going to be his mentor on the team. You know, it could be one of several guys. You know, it could be Looney because he's been around the block a little bit. It could be Chris because he's a younger guy and he's more of a, you know, more his age. Could be Ron Adams. You know, it could be, it could be Steph, could be Bazemore. Somebody's got kind of, walk this guy along a little bit be his like his big brother yeah no there's there's it, 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 it that's to me the one of the most valuable things about training camp is just starting to build those relationships and Steph Steph made a point of that yesterday to say you know I'm spending a lot of time just really like trying to get to know these guys and get and talk to them because you have to understand you know a lot of these guys the new guys have absolutely no relationships with anyone on the roster when they come in you know, obviously basketball isn't that big of a world. So you might have like friends in common or things like that. But a lot of these guys don't know anyone. I mean, I, we talked to Uber the other day and we we're like, have you talked to anyone since you since you joined the team? And he's like, no, yeah. I haven't, which might sound weird to a fan because it's like, why wouldn't let Draymond reach out to him? Why wouldn't Steph reach out to him? He's this guy's obviously going to be a starter on the team. But, you know, it's, it's a job at the end of the day. You need to remember that. And, you know, you're, you're, maybe you should reach out to your new coworker, but I know I've been guilty of not doing that plenty of times, you know, you yeah. just, you got, you got stuff going on, but the, these, these, uh, these, these next couple of weeks are going to be really important in terms of just getting to know each other. And I think it'll be really interesting because they're going on the road to start the season. Right. So they're, right. they're opening the season in Brooklyn, huge nationally televised game against, Kevin Durant in Kevin Durant's Nets debut, which will be great TV. Um, and then a couple of days later on Christmas, they're playing the Bucks in Milwaukee. So they're getting tested right away on these big stages. Yeah. And it'll be really fascinating to see how kind of ready they are for those yeah. moments. And I'm not sure how much bonding they can do on the road. It used to be that you go on a long road trip, players get to do a lot of bonding, hang out together more than they right. would at home. I'm not sure that's the case now because I know in football, that's been the case couple times where the team would be in a hotel but the players couldn't go to each other's rooms and stuff they couldn't they have to basically after practice after the game just go back to the room by yourself so that, that could be screwed up too um, one thing that just occurred to me on the uh on the Wiseman thing is that uh 
you know, as trying as that the stuff was that he went through, as emotionally wrenching as it was for him, maybe this will be a relief, you know, because people, writers aren't going to be coming up to him every day and saying, hey, are you cheating? Are you taking money? Are you doing illegal stuff? It's just going to be basketball. Maybe, maybe that'll be a, a, a good thing for him. Yeah. I mean, I know for a fact for me, like I had, I had planned this big, I was actually supposed to go spend a, an afternoon with him and go walk around with him. And, you know, that obviously has been shelved just because of COVID and the numbers spiking the league. It's not even the Warriors decision. The league won't allow that kind of access. And so, you know, the best I can hope for is an extended phone interview at this point, which from his perspective, in some ways that's kind of nice, right? Cause he can kind of ease into all right. the pressure and notoriety that comes with being a potential franchise center of being the number two pick in the NBA draft. At the end of the day, this guy's 19 years old. And I don't know what you were like when you were 19. When I was 19, I was not ready for that type of responsibility or pressure. I, I was still very much a kid in a lot of ways. Um, and one of my favorite stories of all time is Growing Pains, uh, the big piece that Sally Jenkins did back in the day on Kwame Brown and his rough transition to the league. And, you know, he was obviously coming fresh out of high school, but he was only a year younger than, than what, uh, you know, someone like Wiseman is right now. So, uh, you know, that was a guy who had no idea how to iron a suit. He had no idea how to take care of himself. He had no idea how to live on his own. I think Wiseman's probably a little further along than a Kwame Brown. But, you know, there's there's so many things that go into this beyond just the actual basketball that the team has to take into account. I mean, they have full-time people whose job is to make sure these guys are transitioning to this level. Um, you know, you look at someone like Alan Smiley last year coming all the way from Serbia. Obviously, he spent some time in Santa Cruz before he was drafted. But, you know, he's still figuring out what it's like to even live in America, much less play at the NBA level. Yeah. Well, that's why it's going to be important for – you can't assign like a babysitter or a big brother to Wiseman. You can't say, okay, uh, Draymond or somebody, you know, take this guy into your wing. It's got to happen organically, right? It's just got to right. happen. And, and so that's going to be interesting to see how that, that works. How, I have a feeling that how much big brothering these guys do. I have a feeling that Draymond's going to take that mantle. Obviously, Steph already has a relationship with him. One interesting dynamic is that Steph is now teammates with two guys that went to his camp, um, right. <laughs> which – can you imagine how old that makes him feel? Like <laughs> my my teammates are are were my campers. Like that's got to be such a surreal experience because you know when you're a camp counselor type situation, you look at these kids like like little kids, right? And then now they're making millions of dollars with you playing at the highest level in the world. Uh, it's got to be completely unreal for him. Um, but I actually think it helps. His, I think it helps the young guys transition. I talked to Nico Mannion the other day and Nico was like giddy about just the opportunity to learn from Steph. He actually turned down multiple offers to be drafted earlier in the second round to get to slide all the way to 48 so that he could be Steph's backup. That's how much he wants to be around Steph. Now is Nico going to come up to Steph and practice and say, Hey coach, what do I do? <laughs> that was his old Maybe he should. I mean, honestly, a lot of times you can get more from out of your teammates than than coaches because your teammates are going to see the, the floor better than the coach because they're actually on the floor, right? And they they can just li- lend a different level of insight because they're actually going through it with you as opposed to watching it as a bystander. There's probably more motivation for Steph because he's already 
among the more fanatically well-conditioned guys, but, you know, he sees himself aging now and he sees these young kids coming up and it makes him aware of, of his place and how, how he's like a grandfather and it just, it'll drive him harder to be conditioned to keep up with the kids, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, the, the thing is like, even when, when step, when Clay's injury happened, I'm not going to lie. There was part of me that was just a little disappointed because even as a beat writer, like last season was so brutal in a lot of ways, just yeah. having to watch all those games and how <laughs> ugly it was. There was part of me that was excited just to, to cover a team that was not even necessarily going to win another title, but at least be in the conversation. And then for that to just totally flip on its head before the season even starts was a little, you know, disappointing just from a reporting perspective. But what I'm already seeing is that this is going to be a fascinating season because there's so many new pieces um obviously the stakes aren't necessarily as high but there's going to be so many different storylines you know every single day this week we're we're talking to at least two players on zoom calls and i'm going through these zoom calls and i'm thinking oh my god every single one of these guys has an interesting story that i need to tell like today you know what i mean they they all have a relevant pertinent narratives to the season, you know, it's, there aren't these throwaway storylines, which right. tells you how everything matters right now. Yeah. No, I'm super fired up for the season because <clears throat> I was thinking about it. We had five years of watching these guys where, <clears throat> pardon me, every year they're coming in, they're expected to win and they right. basically delivered. And it was super exciting. It was great. It was really fun. It was wildly entertaining and everything. Then we had one year of just super suckage, right? Now we've got a whole, we're, we're kind of in the middle where these guys are really good. There's some real talent there. And it's going to be fun to watch, see how they develop and how they, they, they come together. I think that's going to be a really fun and interesting ongoing thing. Assuming they don't just completely crash and start 0-7 or something like that. Yeah, speaking of that, you know, I'm sure it's going to be fun checking with in with you throughout the season, um, even if it's over Zoom, given, given COVID world we're in right now. Um, Scott, thank you so much for joining me back on the pod. I've been leaning on you pretty heavily lately. Um, and anyone who hasn't already Scott has a podcast with his son that I went on, uh, last week and had a great time on, um, where can people find that Scott and where can people find all your, your great work? Uh, they can find it at, what is it? At Osler sports. And on Twitter, it's, uh, some Osler sports. So, and they can, yeah, so they can look up our podcast. Uh, Gabe and I do our weekly podcast every Saturday and, and uh, we keep it lively and Connor was nice enough to jump on with us last week. <clears throat> we appreciate that. Excuse my voice. And uh, Connor was great being on with you. It's going to be a good season, man. I like your enthusiasm. <laughs> it's easy to be enthusiastic when you cover basketball for a living, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah. We're going through trying times right now, but I get to, I get to wake up every day and write about basketball and people. So I'm, I'm, I'm not complaining. Yeah. We'll talk about that someday. How, some guys are meant to be writers. Some guys are meant to be basketball writers. And you're you're B. You're, you got <laughs> basketball in your in your heart and soul. And that's good. I, I owe it to the the Portland upbringing, man. You know, my dad taking me to Blazer games every single uh, week growing up. Well, you can't fake that. So stay with it, man. Our thanks to Scott Oster for joining me on the podcast. Always appreciate his Warriors insight. Warriors Off Court is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Support Warriors Off-Court in the newsroom that creates it by signing up for a Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod. 